For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I am your host, Will McFadden, and we've got an awesome episode for you today, obviously. The big news, the NFL drafts. We're going to react. I'll give you my recap uh, a little bit shortly, I'm going to talk with editor-in-chief of the Falcoholic, Dave Choate. Uh, he and I were on the Falcoholic Live uh, live show together on day one and day two of the draft. Got a chance to kind of give our live reactions. But now that we've had an opportunity to sit with the whole draft class, and that includes, you know, Kyle Pitts, but it also includes round six wide receiver uh, Frank Darby. So, Now that we know what the entire class looks like, we'll get a chance to dive into that, talk about what it means for the Falcons roster as a whole and where they go from here. But first, uh, I'm going to give a brief rundown of the entire draft class, and then I'm going to talk about, you know, kind of why the Falcons ultimately decided to go with Kyle Pitts at four instead of a quarterback like Justin Fields, who is still on the board. But first, here's a rundown of the draft. Round one, tight end Kyle Pitts out of Florida. Round two, Safety, Richie Grant out of UCF. Round three, offensive lineman, Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan. Round four, cornerback, Darren Hall out of San Diego State. Round four, again, center, Drew Dahlman, Stanford. Three round five picks, defensive tackle, Taquan Graham out of Texas. Defensive end, Adetokounmpo Ogundeji out of Notre Dame. Cornerback, Avery Williams out of Boise State. And one round six pick and their last pick of the draft, wide receiver Frank Darby out of Arizona State. So that's the full draft class for everybody. As we'll get to a little bit later with my conversation uh, with Dave, I really like it. I do think that there are some immediate day one starters on this roster. I don't think that this was the greatest draft uh, that we've seen in recent years. So I'm not surprised that some of the day three picks are definitely more project players. But that being said, after hearing Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith uh, talk about them, it's clear kind of why they went with each guy that they did, even if some people are talking about the value maybe not being there. Look, on day three of the draft, all it takes is one team to really like a guy or for for that guy to fit, you know, specifically into uh, one team's scheme. And then they're going to have a much higher on the board than, you know, they might if if that wasn't being considered. So that's kind of an early preview. We'll get into it a little bit more later with Dave, but let's talk about why the Falcons decided to go with Kyle Pitts instead of Justin Fields at four. Listening to Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith speak after they made that selection, it's very clear that they were just high on Kyle Pitts kind of from the jump. The early scouting that they did, and I happen to know that uh, regional scout, they said was awesome. And then just when every level of the process kind of kept checking in on Kyle Pitts, they found nothing wrong with him. They said he checked every single box. And, you know, frankly, it's kind of nobody disagrees with that. (laughs) There's a reason that Kyle Pitts was viewed as 
Mel Kuyper's best ever rated prospect. Like we've all seen him. We all know what Kyle Pitts is. So like, I I don't even need to sit here and really get into much uh, about that. But the other part of this is I think it speaks a lot about Matt Ryan. And we kind of saw the hint that maybe Matt Ryan was still the plan when they restructured his contract and kind of moved some of that cap hit onto next year. And honestly, I'm perfectly okay with that plan. You know, I think when we were sitting here arguing whether or not they should take a quarterback at four, it was more about the overall philosophy and strategy behind what a move like that represents, which is long-term stability. And that makes a lot of sense. But the opposite side of that is going with the quarterback who has not ever really been the problem. You know, for all of the people who it's almost kind of like trolling at this point that sit here and say, you know, Matt Ryan's never going to win the big one or whatever. Like Matt Ryan has never once in his career been the problem on this team, and he's not now. And the way that we're seeing quarterbacks age, there's no reason to believe a guy that's been as durable as he is in his entire career isn't going to continue to play up to his ability, you know, for the next two or three years. And that's kind of what he has left with the Falcons. So that I understand that decision. And at that point, if you understand and, and know that Matt Ryan, that you're comfortable with him there, then you go with best player available, which is exactly what Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith kind of said from the beginning. So they they haven't there hasn't been a smokescreen for as much as we all sat here and we're like, what on earth are they going to do? They could do everything. It's they kind of told us just the whole process. You know, we're going to go with the guy that we think has a chance to be a Hall of Famer one day. That's Kyle Pitts. We want to get the best opportunity to win now and win in the future. That's Kyle Pitts. So, of course, he should have been the best player available on their board. He was the best player available on a lot of people's boards, even including Trevor Lawrence. Like Just the pure football player, if we're looking at that instead of the positional value in which quarterback does trump everything else, Kyle Pitts is probably the number one player on a lot of people's boards. So it makes sense right there at four. So when will the Falcons, you know, potentially look to address the quarterback position? Obviously, they signed A.J. McCarron. I think that's honestly like a very, very short term deal. And who knows? McCarron may end up being the third string quarterback. They may end up trading for a guy, bringing a guy in free agency and having him be the primary backup to Matt Ryan. So when do they address the long term needs, though? I do think it's feasible that Ryan could definitely play two years, if not kind of play out his contract and do three more years. If that's the case, then it's kind of the 2024-2025 offseason where we're looking at potentially really moving on from Matt Ryan and, and getting somebody else. At that point, the draft is going to be... We don't know what the draft is going to look like at that point. <laughs> Everybody's sitting here, and, and I'm guilty of this as well, of just kind of parroting the, well, we don't know what the quarterbacks are going to look like next year, the year after that. You know, there's not the level... This is the most talented quarterback class, you got to get one of these guys. That may be true, but it really is just a few years ago that we were also having the Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, like that whole conversation. So there were a lot of quarterbacks in that class. And I don't necessarily know. People didn't think that this class was going to be as loaded in the first round as it was. I mean, it was really Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence coming into the 2020 season. And then you get guys like Zach Wilson or Mac Jones who really flash and pop up. People just started becoming more familiar with them. So who knows in three to four years, what does the quarterback group look like? It doesn't matter, but you kind of figure it out as you go. And 
I think that draft projections do change all the time. It is wild. They do the early scouting. But who's to say that we're not sitting here in in two or three years talking about another generational prospect? And that just kind of more aligns with the Falcons timeline, because teams can figure this stuff out as they go along. When you draft somebody like Kyle Pitts, you know, I, I thought a lot about the Chiefs and Travis Kelsey originally was with Alex Smith. And that worked out. That was fine. It was giving Alex Smith, you know, another great weapon and all of that. But then it was when he got paired with Patrick Mahomes, who was added significantly after Travis Kelsey was on that roster. That's when things really, really clicked. But are the Chiefs the Chiefs if they have Patrick Mahomes and not Travis Kelsey? You can make an argument that, yes, they still are because they're that good. But obviously having Travis Kelsey there is kind of the trump card. It's him and Tyreek Hill. If it's just Tyreek Hill and maybe McCole Hardman has another run there, but it's it's an aging vet like Benjamin Watson or somebody at tight end, like clearly that offense is not as good. So getting Kyle Pitts now ensures that you've got that type of player already on the roster. So whenever you bring a quarterback in here, they're already going to have that great weapon, just like we were sitting here talking about before the draft that a rookie might have with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. I don't know if Julio Jones is here for this new quarterback. Calvin probably still is, but Kyle Pitts definitely should be. And so that is good long-term building in addition to short-term, you know, addition. You're going to still set up somebody from the future and just figure it out. Things change in the NFL so quickly and rapidly nowadays. The Aaron Rodgers news is a perfect example of that. Teams that are sitting there wondering, are they going to be able to get one of these top five quarterbacks in this draft? And, and maybe not. All of a sudden had kind of a better option on the table if Aaron Rodgers truly wants out of Green Bay. And it seems like he does. And So having a situation like that or Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or whatever, I'm not saying the Falcons need to just rely on the next great quarterback to get unhappy. But my point is that things do kind of happen that are unexpected and planning and just taking the best talent does give you the opportunity as long as you handle the financial aspects of roster building to be able to make a move or have enough capital to get a player. It does allow you to really kind of find that final piece. I know we talk about in the draft, are they one piece away? Sometimes the best way to be one piece away is to have talent at like every other position and then truly maybe be lacking at quarterback or be lacking at left tackle or be like, but you've got talent everywhere else that you are able to be like the Rams and say, we'll send you two first round picks for Jalen Ramsey because we believe that we are one star cornerback away from our defense being better and our offense competing at a Super Bowl level. So I think that makes a lot of sense then if you're looking at it from that aspect. Kyle Pitts is a home run pick. I mean, almost unanimously an A-plus grade uh, from everybody after the draft. Not like that means anything, but at the very least, Kyle Pitts should be fun as hell to watch in Atlanta. I love that he is wearing number eight. That was my number in high school when I played tight end, so that's already a home run decision. I like this guy. 100% more than I did before the draft just because of that decision. So I'm all in on Kyle Pitts. I was pro Justin Fields beforehand, but I get I get the reason the Falcons did this. And and I agree with it in a lot of ways. So those are my thoughts on why they decided to go Kyle Pitts instead of a quarterback. Let's now get to my conversation with Falcoholic editor in chief Dave Choate. Dave Choate editor-in-chief of The Falcoholic, one of the most, honestly, fun fan bases interacting with a company I think I've ever seen. Like, it, just the chemistry, the vibe between the way that you guys 
instigate a real community feel at that site and try to keep everybody, you know, good feelings for the most part. It's not a, it's not a kind of a toxic environment or community over at the Falcoholic. And I'm lucky enough to be able to, to do some stuff with you guys. And we've had a relationship now for a few years, but thank you so much for coming on and uh, talking about the draft with me today. I'm happy to. Yeah. It's, it was a really, it was a really fun draft. I mean, every year it hits me a little bit harder. Like I feel like five years older every year after these three days, but, um, this was, a this is a really exciting one, especially with so much buildup and so many unknowns. It's good to actually have like something concrete to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely know what you've, what you mean kind of on the, when you get to Sunday afternoon and it's kind of over and you look back it definitely wears you out because you realize how much the kind of content machine hype and just nonstop 24 conversation that is the draft that then turns into just this weird echo chamber of everybody creating just narratives, whole cloth that aren't super bad, but it's like you just play telephone for three straight months. And all of a sudden the original message gets warped in such a way that when you look back on it, you're like, that was so dumb. Like, why, what were we talking about? We talked for two months about Mac Jones going third. And then he went to the bears in the middle of the first round. It was kind of like, yeah, that seemed like it worked out for both parties. Cool. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. But that being said, I, I do want to get just kind of, we'll start with your big picture overall thoughts on now that we've seen the entirety of the draft class. Uh, what do you make of this year's draft? Overall, I like it. I, I you know, I wanted to see, sort of what the philosophy was going to be here. And I think, you know, with a couple of notable exceptions, you know, this was really about adding a lot of athleticism to this team. Um, certainly, I think across the board, adding real upside players that hopefully, you know, their best days with a good coaching staff are very much in front of them and adding some versatility to it. I love the ability of some of these guys to potentially play multiple positions well, um, certainly Kyle Pitts and Richie Grant in particular stand out as guys who can probably do a lot of things for their respective units. So I like it overall, obviously, you know, I had some, some quiet disappointment about where they went with the very first pick, just because I I'm a huge Justin Fields fan. I know we discussed mm -hmm. this. I, I think that, you know, that was a, a different road that could have been taken. I'm not unhappy with Pitts at all, but, um, and then the only other thing that does concern me a little bit continues to be the pass rush and how reliant they're going to be, I think on the guys they have in the coaching staff, but I think you get past those and, and I like what they did here. And I think that, you know, I, obviously the, the track record of like, Hey, nine guys are going to start for this football team is pretty <laughs> slim. So we're probably not getting there, but I, I do think there's multiple starters in this class, at least over the long haul. I'm excited to see what they can do. Yeah. I think, I think I kind of land in the same spot. You know, I, my intro to this podcast was talking about the Justin Fields, Kyle Pitts kind of debate in hindsight now that we know their decision. And ultimately, you know, I think you and I agreed that just the, the long-term upside of hitting on a quarterback is probably the number one most valuable thing you could get out of a draft. That being said, that's a philosophical conversation about just like, how do you sustain longevity within a franchise? And you can also do that by just, if Kyle Pitts turns out to be the player we all think he can be, then they will have also accomplished a very, like the number two best possible outcome in a draft. And so I totally understand. And I think, is it maybe a better bet that Pitts goes on to have a better career than, than Justin Fields? I mean, maybe at, like, I think Pitts is that athletic and, and talented, but on the whole, 
I think when I looked at it, there were maybe three day one starters I had on this, and I'm actually including fifth round pick Avery Williams in in that three. So I would have Kyle Pitts, Richie Grant, and Avery Williams, which you might say is kind of a disappointment, but I just don't necessarily think that this was the best overall draft. And I do think that they got some really good upside players. And I think Jalen Mayfield is one of those. I do like Drew Dahlman. Um, And then, you know, Frank Darby is really interesting in, in the sixth. And I think they went upside on day three. And in round two and three, I think they went kind of value, which, you know, I think we will touch on a little bit later in in this conversation. But what let's just talk about Kyle Pitts. Let's just get get that out of the way um, and do the Kyle Pitts thing here. Do you think he's the could end up as the best prospect in this class? And then just how does he fit into the offense as it's currently constructed? Yeah, I think there's that possibility. I think when you have, you know, a quarterback class of this caliber, you know, you're you're putting Trevor Lawrence, hopefully with the coaching staff, it's not going to ruin him. Um, you know, Fields, the Bears is a tough landing spot, but he's really talented. And certainly Trey Lance with Kyle Shanahan, like it feels like one of those guys will be sort of the best player in this mm-hmm. draft class. But I think Pitts is going to when all is said and done, um, belong in the top three, top five from this class, at least. And I think it's just because of what he is as a talent, um, you know, his youth and where he landed. Like, I, I really feel like you can't overstate how important fit is for any mm-hmm. prospect, really. You know, if you if you took Kyle Pitts and you put him on a stodgy team that, like, doesn't use tight ends creatively, like, yeah. he'd languish a little bit, no matter how talented he is. But you know, with Arthur Smith, um, probably being willing to do some creative things with him, um, you know, line him up all over the place, have him do a variety of things. Um, he's going to, I think, excel right away. Um, you know, even if his first year isn't the best year of his career, he'll, he'll be impressive from day one. And I think he is effectively the number one tight end right out of the gate for the Falcons. I don't think they're going to waste any time, saying, you know, you've got to, you know, push your way up the depth chart because I think he's he's already doing that just by being as gifted as he is mm-hmm. and knowing that he is sort of the long-term, you know, unicorn at this position. They, they don't have anyone else necessarily beyond this year. We don't know what they're going to do with Hurst. So I, I don't think there's any point in kind of playing that game and waiting around. I think you roll him out um, and you start figuring out all the ways in which you can use him. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And and that's basically what Falcons said they were going to do, you know, was he's going to play and and Arthur Smith said a, a little bit of kind of a semantics thing where it's like, is he going to be out there on the first snap of the game? Like, does that really matter if he ends up playing 70% of the snaps? Like, not really. So I, the one thing, though, that we've talked about with Pitts is that and connected him to Arthur Smith is that 12 personnel thing. And, and that's where Pitts makes sense is just what he brings to now a run heavy look. But as I've been thinking about this more, I mean, it's even kind of more than that. Like Pitts is has the skill set of a wide receiver in a lot of ways. So you could have, again, 12 personnel and still essentially have three wideouts. Where does he fit for you most early on? Would you want him in that inline kind of where he's maybe going to have to block a little bit more role? Or would you slide him out, you know, like the Giants maybe did with Evan Engram or or somebody like that and have him you know, really move around all over the place. I do a little bit of both. I would lean toward, um, you know, splitting him out 
and and trying to get creative with how you're using him right out of the gate. I think you you went ahead and traded for you know Lee Smith, um, and you're hoping that Hayden Hurst can at least be a you know a decent blocker this year, so that you don't have to just keep Kyle Pitts in line. You know he is he is a good blocker. I feel like that won't be a major problem for him out of the gate but that's really not what he should be doing for the most part. When you have a guy this gifted, you want to get him into space. You want to give him every opportunity to, you know, work as a tremendous talent and and find the best matchup for him. I I think that it's a waste to just have him line up um, in line and to, and to really say, you know, that, this will be sort of a run heavy offense. You know, it, it probably will be, I like Mike Davis, but at the same time, mm-hmm. like let's not, not put ourselves in a position too often where Kyle Pitts is just hanging out and blocking. Like, I think that should be ultimately the last thing you're looking to do with him. So, <laughs> you know, when you have Julio Jones too, um, and I hope they still do when we get to the season, when mm-hmm. you have Calvin Ridley, when you have a pretty, good receiving threat at tight end already in Hayden Hurst. There really is no limit to how you should shuffle those pieces around um, to take advantage of what Pitts can do. You know, it's, it's sort of the Falcons when they've had the most success over the years, I think with Julio is when they just don't say, all right, just go run, beat your guy and and we'll see what happens. You know, it's, it's getting him in the slot. It's doing interesting things. You know, that after the the first night of the draft when they selected Kyle Pitts, I, I just dreamed about, you know, that Y throwback uh, pattern that Kyle Shanahan loves to run to uh, Levine Toilolo in 2016. Just have him be that guy. And, and it's unstoppable, I feel like. Um, but you mentioned real quick, Mike Davis. Falcons didn't take a running back in this draft. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's I wrote that up a little bit earlier because I think the most common question I actually got after the draft was where's the running back and I expected the question to really be like where's the pass rusher yeah. uh, more so <laughs> that, that's still my focus but I, I get it you know running back is a visible position I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize um, as, how good Mike Davis can be in this offense and I think he will mm-hmm. be very good so you know, it surprised me a little bit that they didn't take one. It wasn't like a bitter disappointment to me. I think it, it it made me reevaluate what I think I know about, you know, this team's construction at the position and certainly, you know, looking at Davis and then Corderell Patterson is sort of maybe the one two there. That is a little bit concerning, but you know, <laughs> yeah. whether they like Allison more than we realize, whether they, you know, intend to get um, JV and Hawkins maybe involved a little bit earlier than anyone would anticipate, or whether they're just going to go out into free agency, which still has a, a few decent backs out there and just pick mm-hmm. one up on the cheap. Like there's a lot of options for filling out your depth chart. And I, I it, to me, it's not a major concern that they, they passed up on that, particularly when you brought a couple of intriguing undrafted guys in and you're going to be pretty reliant on Davis this year. Yeah. And it's always funny to me when we talk kind of all throughout the season about how invaluable running backs are or replaceable running backs are. And then we kind of get into the draft and everybody, you know, still talks about that, but is definitely um, a little bit more, like, well, they need to get a running back. They, they have to get a running back. And like it kind of, there's a lot of uh, information and data out there that suggests that basically your offensive line is actually the most important factor to the run game. And that running backs really don't get that much more yardage than what the offensive line is able to get for them. So I think the Falcons, you know, addressing their offensive line with two picks 
does like it, they did address the run game in, in that sense, because, you know, the center they took drew Dolman is definitely a better run blocker right now than he is a pass protector. So as we kind of look at the rest of the draft, what, who's the prospect that gets you most excited? It's a great question. And, and so I think that my favorite prospect looking at the rest of the draft is Grant. This is somebody that I've had the opportunity to be excited about for a while now because um, the Falcoholics, Eric Robinson, talked him up a lot early. Um, I spent some time watching him. I really thought he was an impressive player, but I also kind of just filed him away in the back of my mind over the last couple of weeks because I'm like, guys that you know you link heavily to the Falcons that you think are great fits don't end up there that often. Maybe that's changing with a new front office, but I really think he's going to be an ideal fit for this defense. I think he's going to be a player who uh, does a lot of good things from day one. And I, I think it's, it's amazing to me that the Falcons have me feeling fairly good about the safety position, considering they basically wiped it out this off season and they had $10 to fill it. So, you know, to me, Grant is, is the most exciting over the long haul. Um, I think looking at somebody like Avery Williams um, with that punt return ability and just his athleticism and, and, you know, grittiness for lack of a better word at the cornerback position makes me think that he'll be a really interesting player, even if he's not ever a starter or corner. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you on the Richie Grant part of it, you know, getting, when I was watching him just in the lead up and everything, you know, there are just some guys who are always around the ball on every single play, whether they make the play or not, they're in frame, they come flying out of, out of somewhere or, you know, they find a way to beat their block and at least kind of get in on the action or whatever. And he's one of those guys. It's just wherever the play could be on the opposite side of the field. And he just finds a way to at least be standing around the pile at the very end. And, and he hustles and he does a lot of things really well. You know, it's kind of usual for there to be a safety who's a more traditional in the box safety and is maybe not reactive, instinctive in the way that you are a playmaker or there's a playmaker, but they kind of give up stuff against the run and maybe they're not as willing to get in there. But honestly, Richie Grant is all of it. Aaron Freeman and I uh, are on the Falcolic Live Day 2 show. You know, he said that he felt he was a little bit uh, inconsistent. And I get what he was saying after going back and, and re-watching uh, Richie Grant play. Like there are times where, you know, he makes the play and then kind of the next play misses that same play. But the way I would sum that up and what I actually love about that is the mistakes he makes are kind of the quintessential cliche of when a coach in middle school or high school football would kind of say, like, if you're going to make a mistake, make it at a hundred uh, miles an hour. And that's what he does. And every single play he brings it and he's not afraid to stick his nose in there and take down a much bigger tight end. He's not afraid to make a risky break on the ball. And it usually ends up working out for him. So Richie Grant is, I think like their first two picks in this draft really could alter each side of the ball for Atlanta. And that's kind of what they need. You know, if, if you're drafting this high, you need to hit on those first two picks. Jalen Mayfield, I, I do like, I don't know. I think I'm a big fan of investing in your offensive line with young players with upside and then developing those players and really trying to tap into that upside. And I think that's that kind of pick. What do you think about Jalen Mayfield? Yeah, I, I think I'm probably a little bit higher on him um, than I thought I'd be after the selection was first made. I, I think that he is, again, just kind of a, a nasty player, potentially. And I, I think that moving him into guard at least helps with some of the holes in his game um, that I've seen and seen talked about. And so to me, 
there's not a lot of great options at left guard for the Falcons this year. Like I would really have felt great about adding one more guy and maybe there still is a free agent addition if they don't feel good about this position, you know, heading into training camp. But to me, Mayfield has the, has the talent, has the ability out of the gate to start. It'll be a little bit rough if he has to, but I do think that he is potentially a very good player. And I think that Dwayne Ledford is probably exactly the right guy to iron out some of the deficiencies in his game ahead of him starting. And, and so I, I think when you look at him and, and Dahlman together, I think both of those guys could potentially end up starting at some point. I think that's certainly at least in the team's mind when they made those two picks. I actually feel like Mayfield might have a better shot at starting right out of the gate. Um, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, I am. Uh, again, I'm a big Matt Gono uh, supporter, and I think that he's capable of being your starting left guard and in a lot of ways might be the favorite entering training camp uh, to do so because he has developed in the way that you'd like to see somebody. I also know, I think I saw in their press conference that uh, Drew Dahlman's father is knows uh, Ledford in, in some way and that they know each other. So there's a connection there and they know a little bit more about Drew Dahlman than another team might. But speaking of, of day three picks, I know, you know, we talked about Avery Williams and Drew Dahlman. Is there anybody else uh, among that group that you uh, think has upside? Because that's kind of the, I think, was the theme. You saw a lot of people's reaction was that the Falcons reached on, on some of their maybe fifth round picks. But on day three, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, more of a crapshoot than, than anything because so many different teams could value certain attributes or traits or qualities or have somebody much higher than another team or the consensus because of a scheme fit. And I'm a big fan of just take upside on day three and, and see if they pan out. So who do you like from that group in terms of long, uh, long-term upside? Yeah, I, I think, you know, Darby, I, I didn't admittedly know a whole lot about seeing, you know, some of the reactions to him watching a little bit of him. Um, it's hard not to be excited potentially about what he could do in Atlanta. I think that one's going to need some time. Um, but I'm really excited about both the, the defensive line additions, Graham and, and Ogundeji. Um, I think both of those guys, you know, to me, they look powerful. They're, they have the requisite length and athleticism. And I, I think that, you know, both again are going to need time but they also kind of have the luxury of time. Defensive tackle is really stacked, um, at least compared to the rest of this defense. I know that's, you know, damning with faint praise, but here we are. Um, and, you know, at defensive end, you know, they certainly have enough options to get by if Ogundeji isn't a huge contributor right away. So I like the idea of both of those guys, you know, playing a little bit this year and stretching out, but I think long-term I, I don't know if I see either one as a starter, but I see them as potentially being really useful reserves in this defense. Um, the kind of guys who are valuable additions to the defensive line rotation. Um, and I think that the Falcons have largely struggled to develop the young guys who, who can live up to that. I think, you know, looking at Tua Tui Mariner um, and in his role and how he sort of actually developed, you know, from a practice squad player into a really useful piece of the defense. That's kind of the route that I see for those two guys, but I think they have, you know, higher upside at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, the development part totally makes sense, especially when you, I think of somebody like Justin Zimmer, who was here in Atlanta on the practice squad and in training camp. And then this past season was just making great plays for Buffalo's defensive line. And at the end of games in most critical moments, what went wrong with this guy here in Atlanta? Yeah, that one hurts. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But Tui is 
is an example of something that went right. So I think uh, the common theme with both of those guys that uh, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot were talking about was the length. And it was something I think that we all touched upon in kind of the pre-draft process, or at least in mocks, this was something I thought was possible because we don't know what Dean Pease exactly wants to do in the front seven. And he said he wants to do some multiple looks and you've got to have those guys who are able to be, you know, maybe three, four ends. And I think to do that and play in a two gap scheme, length is really important. And both of these guys, it seems like the coaching staff really likes the length they bring. And so, you know, perhaps that's kind of their role early on. And you said the pass rush is something that, you know, outside of running back, it's your, or including running back, it's still your kind of number one, maybe concern coming out of the draft. So did they do enough this off season at, at all to really get better at, in any way at that position or in that aspect of their defense? And do you think there's still moves to come to address that area? Yeah, I think, you know, when, if we're talking about improvement, I'm not sure that I see from a personnel perspective, how they've made any great strides um, in that regard. And I don't, it's part of the reason I don't think they're totally done yet. Right. Like I don't know how much money they're actually going to have, but I think another addition or two toward the end of the summer, if they feel they need it is something that will probably happen. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, you are relying heavily on guys who are either coming off of disappointing seasons, haven't really shown they can do it or, or just kind of, you know, useful players, but merely decent pass rushers. Right. Yeah. And so I know that, I know that P's and the coaching staff um, are going to put a lot on themselves to improve this. I'm sure they're counting on Fowler bouncing back and mm-hmm. Marlon Davidson really living up to his billing more so. And he is a player I'm excited about. But I think if you look at this group today, you know, the pass rush is going to have to come from everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it's going to have to be schemed up because there just aren't those guys besides Grady Jarrett who are anywhere near elite. Um, and, you know, can cause major disruption all on their own. So I I think to me, it's still a concern because I don't feel like the talent is necessarily up to snuff and we just don't know what the coaching staff will be able to do with it at this point. So I would not be surprised at all if they continued to add to the group, Um, you know, if they're really happy with where some of the new additions are. Maybe they think Copeland is a really useful pass rusher after all. They're thinking that Fowler looks terrific and maybe Graham and Ogundeji are contributing early. That's great. Um, I just don't know how likely that is. Yeah. And I, I think that there's a couple of ways to, to look at this. Uh, there's not even necessarily young guys with the potential to become elite, you know, maybe outside of Marlon Davidson, you could, it's still maybe too early to, to throw him in, uh, into that mix, but outside of Grady, there's just not this next guy that you're looking at as can he take that leap? And if he does maybe pro bowl potential, I, you know, that's not out of the realm of possibility, I suppose, but there's not somebody right now. I wouldn't necessarily bet on that happening. So I think when we looked at the cover three defense that Dan Quinn liked to run philosophically, that is meant to drop guys in coverage and you rush for, and you keep everything in front of you, and you just don't give up the big play. So in order to have an effective pass rush, you need four effective pass rushers. And that was a big failing of the Falcons during the Dan Quinn era. But Tampa Bay showed us just last season with Todd Bowles that that's not the only way to get pressure, and you can still have effective coverage, even if you're sending not just 
you know, multi, more defenders and blitzers, but defenders from the second level and maybe dropping defensive linemen into coverage. So you're still rushing four. It's just that you're disguising where those four are coming from. And I think that that's what Dean Pease has said. He essentially wants to do, or at least he's hinting that that's kind of what we'll see. And so I think we'll see Dante Fowler and Michael Walker and Richie Grant and Foyer and a corner, you know, AJ Terrell and these guys having a couple of sacks each this season. And if that's the case, then I think the overall production for the pass rush will probably be better. So I, you know, I look at maybe they made the moves on the defensive line because it wasn't a good pass rushing draft. It just wasn't. So they made the moves on the defensive line to maybe shore up their ability to be versatile in the fronts that they want to deploy. And that's, that's okay. I mean, sometimes you can only do what the draft allows you to do. So with that in mind, Let's just get kind of the final thoughts on where do the Falcons go from here after the draft? You know, are, did they do enough to really improve in your eyes? And do you think that there will be maybe a second wave of free agency for Atlanta forthcoming? And if there is, what positions do you think they should prioritize? Yeah, I think, you know, to me, they did a good job following sort of what they said they would do and adding talent to this team. I think, we're not going to see contributions like we discussed from all of these guys right away. Um, but I, I think that overall this team is better than it was uh, and a lot better at a couple of positions, certainly safety and tight end. I feel really good about in a way I didn't before. Um, so, so in that light, I think they're better. I think when you look at this roster, you know, top to bottom and everything they've done to this point, this off season, it, it might be a little bit better on balance than it was a year ago. It, it's probably in the same neighborhood um, purely from a talent perspective in my mind. But I do think that, again, it's going to be so reliant on the coaching and, and bounce back from stars anyways. And we knew that in a lot of ways that I'm not sure it, it means they're doomed to another terrible season. I, I would say four and 12, but it's actually four and 13 at this point. Right. So um, but I do think we'll see a small second wave of free agency too, if they can free up the dollars. And I know mm -hmm. that, you know, that gets a little bit dicier. They're going to have to make a move just to sign the draft class. I would hope that they would make at least one move that allows them to do a little bit more than that, because I think they're going to get a hard look at this roster over the summer and find that, you know, maybe they do want that veteran running back. I think that's a real possibility. I think it really depends on how, how Allison and Caleb Huntley compete this summer. If you feel confident, one of those guys can be your third or fourth back and, and be that, that bruiser lower on the depth chart, then maybe you just roll with that. Otherwise I think you sign somebody and I still wouldn't be surprised if we saw additions to the offensive line. Um, mm -hmm. certainly the defensive line, um, stand out to me as real possibilities. So it's, it's a question of how much money you can free up, but I don't think unless this team just can't get it done from a dollar's perspective that, you know, they're finished building this roster entirely, because again, I think, you know, if you ask Terry Fontenot candidly, you know, is this a, a greatly improved team from a year ago? I don't think he could tell, you no with a straight face, you know, yeah. uh, there's enough, there's enough holes in this roster still, um, even after this draft class, that they're going to have to get by with uh, sort of smoke and mirrors to some extent. So, you know, I, I do feel good about the direction of the team. I feel good about this draft class and I feel good about the long term. I'm still a little bit shaky on where we're going to end up in 2021. So <laughs> I'd like to see sort of where they end up going this summer. Yeah, I think the draft conversation really got everybody into kind of a false like dichotomy about 
well, they either have to be trying to compete right now, or they have to be prepared to tear it all down and build for the future. And in reality, like, I think the Falcons would tell you, Hey, look, it's just a work in progress. Like we're going to just try to add talent where we see the value and we add the talent. And if we go into the season with Mike Davis at running back, I mean, he's a replacement level player that's we think is at least good enough. I think the hope has always been that the coaching will elevate the players on this roster and just that new voices in the room and a new way of going about things kind of brings up the floor of this roster. Now, that doesn't mean that they're ready to compete, especially in, in a good NFC South that I think will again be competitive. But it does mean that you just hope that by the end of 2021, you feel better about the future of this organization than you did going into 2021. And so whether or not they add a lot more free agents, I mean, they're going to have to make some moves just to like literally field a roster out there. But sure, could they go seven and 10? Yeah, like that seems like a probably a pretty reasonable number. And if they go nine and eight, I'm trying to do this math on my in my head. It's it, it's as so hard to get used to. It's it's crazy. so weird. I was just like nine and seven. Nope, nine and eight. Then that's a good year, and people should be excited. And and like that speaks that this is working. And then you get Kyle Pitts in his second year, and Richie Gray in his second year, and a whole new draft class. And and it's just a work in progress. I think is where my mind is right now. And I think in this draft, you did exactly what you should do. If you're a work in progress, you added a potentially elite all pro generational player that's going to help you immediately, but it's going to definitely help you in year four and year five of that player's career. You added a good versatile safety who can do a lot of things in this defense. And then you added a lot of guys who may fill very specific niche roles, but in year three and year four, you need guys who are pretty good adding depth and playing specific niche roles to make runs at a Super Bowl. That's what good Super Bowl contending teams have. They have guys who don't do much, but what they do, they do it really well and they are effective and reliable and can be counted upon. So in that sense, I don't think that this is a bad draft for Atlanta. I don't think it's necessarily the home run that maybe people were hoping for. And and maybe that was unfair to Terry Fontenot because this again, just wasn't a good draft. So I don't know. I think that's where I've come around on it. Uh, but Dave Choate, editor-in-chief of Falcoholic, at the Falcoholic, also at Words and Beer for your personal uh, Twitter account. But Dave, what what do we have coming on the Falcoholic post-draft? Yeah, we're going to do deeper dives. Um, and I say we, I mean you guys, the, the excellent <laughs> draft coverage we have here at the site. Um, taking a closer look at who was drafted and where they might fit. Um, and I think we want to spend quite a bit of time in the coming weeks too, talking a lot about what this roster is going to look like going forward, what questions we still have remaining as we've kind of discussed here and really, you know, what is, what is the short-term and long-term plan for the Falcons? Now that we know a little bit more about how Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith are looking at building this team out, Mm -hmm. um, because we've been, we've been waiting for that information for a very long time. So (laughs) a lot of exciting things to talk about and, and really looking forward to, uh, seeing what's ahead. Great. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking some time. I know it's been a long weekend for all of us, uh, definitely going to probably crash hard tonight, but thank you so much for for hopping on and, and talking about the draft with me. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later, Dave. All right. That will do it for today's episode of Believe in Falcons. Thanks again to Dave Choate for taking the time to discuss a Falcons draft class that has some very exciting prospects uh, headlining the group. 
Sometimes there can be a bit of a bounce back for a team when a new coaching staff arrives, and there's always some random variance with how one-score games shake out from one season to the next. If Atlanta can benefit from both of these circumstances, I do think it may have an outside shot at putting together a memorable season. But whatever the case may be, the Falcons took one big step forward towards building not just towards the upcoming season, but potentially for the next five years with guys like Richie Grant, Kyle Pitts, you know, leading the way in that aspect. And that's exactly what they needed to do. So thanks for listening, everybody. And please rate this podcast, leave a review for us so we can continue to get better. And until next time, take care, Falcons fans. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.